0: And the way that I like to think about timing when it comes to any creative concept is you wanna think about the rate at which people consume the content is a strong correlator to the rate at which the trends change. And Adam, this is a,
1: a heck of a show this week. And and Alan is exactly right. Th- this idea that the pace of change in social media is going up and up and up and up. And 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 we talked a lot in this episode about the fact that what you do on Instagram can't be what you do on Twitter. It doesn't work like that anymore.
2: I I love that Jay. I agree with you. And I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for all of our listeners, but it was, I think, profound to me when I started thinking about the cycle at which we should be updating and posting on different platforms is very much representative of the frequency upon which we're on there. And without a doubt, I'm on Twitter a heck of a lot more than I am on on LinkedIn, and content strategies need to kind of fulfill those uh, those timing schedules as well.
1: Yeah, I can tell you, this is one of my favorite episodes in a while, a bunch of gold uh, in this yeah. one, not only about social strategy in general, but specifically about LinkedIn and LinkedIn video strategy, because our guest this week, Alan Gannett, uh, founder of Track Maven, author of the book, The Creative Curve, and also won an award for best LinkedIn video amongst all marketers. Uh, so he really knows what he's talking about. Uh, make sure you spend real close uh, attention in this episode, because I can guarantee you, you're going to finish this 42 minutes, whatever it is, as a better social media marketer than you were when you started. I am Jay Bear from CanMitsaGivert. He's Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud. This is Social Pros. We love having you here. This week, the show is sponsored by Salesforce Marketing Cloud. And hey, speaking of how to get better at social media, I got an idea for you. You should, once this show is over, stop the recording, go to a browser and go to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash tips50social. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-I-P-S five zero social. Why, why would you do that? Jay, why should I do that? Here's why, you will find at the end of that URL, a landing page and on that landing page, you will be asked for a little bit of personal information but that will be a worthwhile trade, why? Because you will receive a copy of an ebook written by Adam and his team at Salesforce Marketing Cloud called 50 Social Media Best Practices. All kinds of tips, tricks, best practices, ideas for how to make your social media better, won't cost you a thing. They're not going to bug you that much either. Totally worth it. bit.ly slash tips 50 social from our friends at Salesforce. Also, our friend Alan Gannett, this week's guest on the Social Pros Podcast. Strap in, folks. It's a good one. super pumped this week on social pros to have on the air somebody who's going to bring a lot of different topics uh to the forefront here he is a multi-talented multi-faceted genius creator and marketer uh alan gannett who is also the author of a terrific book uh, called the creative curve that i really really loved and alan is really terrific at all things social media content marketing also fun fact uh founder of track maven uh, now part of the skyward uh, empire alan welcome Welcome to the uh, social pros.
0: Thanks, Jay. With words like that, I feel like I'm like all good. I can like, show That's it. Goodness. The show is, no the show, is yeah. the show is Bye, concluded. guys. See you later.
1: Good night, everyone. You have a really interesting perspective on the things we talk about here uh, at Social Pros, because as, as many Social Pros listeners know, TrackMaven is one of the finest tools available to really understand what's happening uh, with your social media in comparison to uh, the universe at large and in comparison to competitors to see progress or lack of progress, as the case may be. In your estimation, what does the analytics say? What does the data say has kind of changed the most in social in the last, I don't know, year or so?
0: Yeah, great question. So for those who don't know, TrackMaven is a marketing analytics platform sort of primarily focused on social and content, but it does other things like paid social and some web stuff too. And the primary thing we're seeing that I think is really interesting and has been going on for a few years Um, is this sort of back and forth pendulum swing around paid social and organic social. And right now what I think is really interesting is you're seeing a pendulum swing back to organic where you're seeing brands start to really get good at organic social again, after, you know, there was all stuff around organic social's dead, blah, blah, blah. And I think the the real answer is organic social is hard, right? Organic social is really hard. But um, the fact that a lot of brands have left it, I think has left an opportunity for other brands to come in and do a very good job at it. Um, and so I think that's the question for a lot of teams right now is like, what kind of social team do you wanna be? And are you staffed and are you resourced and are you operationalized to actually be able to do that?
1: Uh, that's really a fascinating premise that that the pendulum swings one way and then, and then back the other. I mean, obviously paid social, when everybody rushes in gets more expensive. And so people say, yes, organic social is hard, but maybe it's worth it, even if it is hard, because if you can crack that code, then it's less expensive potentially than, than paid based on, on that observation and, and seeing brands kind of return to organic social and having some degree of success, what, what is that success rooted in that perhaps that success wasn't there in the past? Is it, is
0: it specificity? Is it creativity? Is it modality? Yeah, so I think it's a few, it's a few different things. So one is that the brands who do organic social well – are being very channel specific. So I think one of the big mistakes that enterprises made when they went into social was they tried to be very efficient. And, you know, being social is not very efficient. Like you think about the word social and social media, like when you go to a party, it's not very efficient to make new friends, right? It takes time, it takes work. And they said, okay, no, we wanna, you know, create a short form video, and then we want to recut it to all these different platforms. And look, we created like channel specific content. But like, that's kind of BS because in reality, there's like all these channels have a subculture. And you think about YouTube versus Instagram versus TikTok, there's all sort of a subculture and there's people on it and they have their own sort of inside jokes and all these feelings. And so the brands that have moved back to it, I think, have done a really good job at being channel specific. And we can point at some of the obvious examples. <clears throat> but I think like, you know, obviously right now with brand Twitter, there's a whole thing around like Wendy's, for example, right, where they do the sort of sassy, sarcastic voice, which by the way, is like the voice of Twitter. Like that's what Twitter is. Like it is sort of sassy and sarcastic and has a slight sort of cynical bend to it. Um, but if they had just been repurposing a bunch of you know, generic social content onto Twitter as they're repurposing for other things, it wouldn't have worked. So I think in order to do organic social well, you have to be channel specific, which is inherently expensive. Cause that typically means you need to have a person or multiple people only focus on one channel, multiply that by, you know, six or seven major channels, and you have a pretty big team.
1: Yeah, it's such a great point. Social Pros listeners, I I want you to really heed what what Alan said right there, this idea that you can create one story or one content component, and then cross post it uh, in, in every medium with the same graphic, the same angle, doesn't really work it's it's random acts of social and if there's one thing we've discovered and one thing we talked about here on the show is that you have to to say all right what is I say let me say it more cleanly what we tell our clients to Convince a Convert now is that there really is no such thing as a social media strategy. I mean, we, we call it that just because it's easier to describe and discuss, but there really is no such thing, right? You have a Instagram strategy and an Instagram stories strategy and maybe an IGTV strategy. That's three strategies for one platform, totally. right? Then you've got a LinkedIn long form mm-hmm. strategy and a LinkedIn short form strategy and possibly a LinkedIn video strategy, which we'll talk about in a second. So you may have 10, 12, 15 strategies that, that are all kind of rolled up into what we colloquially know as a social media strategy. But the commonality between those different channels is getting less and less over time, not more and more, partially because the audiences themselves, as Alan alluded to, are are balkanizing. We see this in the data. You see it from Pew data, you see it from Edison research data, that that people who love Instagram, love Instagram. And yeah, they might spend a little time on Twitter. Yeah, they might spend a little time on Facebook. but, But back in the day, like, a year ago, uh, you would see people using social networks more interchangeably. And now what the data show is that people are kind of picking their favorites and spending a greater share of their time in each of those channels, which means that they get very used to the syncopations and the rhythms and the content stylings of that platform. And you have to, as Alan rightly points out, match those same syncopations and rhythms with your content. Uh, Otherwise it feels like you go to a party and everybody's speaking French and you're like, Hey, I'm going to speak Portuguese and I don't really care what language you're speaking. You got to learn my language.
0: And obviously uh, that doesn't work unless you're paying people to be your friends. Exactly. And this is where I think it's really important that, So the concepts in in my books, I wrote this book, that's all about creativity and timing. And I think this actually applies really well to social where one of the biggest mistakes that people make when it comes to social media is they completely ignore the timing aspect. And the way that I like to think about timing when it comes to any creative concept is you want to think about the rate at which people consume the content is a strong correlator to the rate at which the trends change. So in Twitter, the sort of themes and trends literally change every day. You think about the memes and the jokes and all that stuff, it literally changes every single day because that's how people consume Twitter. And so what you have to do as a brand or as a social media marketer or whatever you call yourself, right, is you have to have that understanding on that level because you constantly have to be understanding what is that white space, where is that opportunity, where I also don't seem cliché. Right. And this is where I think a lot of brands, you know, I was talking before about like hashtag brand Twitter and Wendy's and now every, there's all these sort of retail and food service brands that have dove into the strategy of they have this sort of sarcastic Twitter. And, you know, people sort of make fun now, there'll be these long Twitter threads of just brand Twitter sort of responding to itself. And like, it's still kind of funny, but at a certain point, it just sort of gets like, okay, like we get it. Right. Um, and so I think you have to be really, really good. And this is where, when I tell people, you know, they ask like, what kind of person should I hire to run these channels? You really have to find someone who is sort of native to that channel and a citizen of that channel and someone who really lives and breeds it because they'll be able to understand and get the joke. And so, you know, people oftentimes talk about it. And I mean, no offense to some of my friends, but like, they'll say like, Oh, I'm such a busy social media professional. Like I don't even post on my own Instagram. Right. And those are the type of people who always worry me because I'm like, if you really are gonna do Instagram, great, or Twitter, great. I don't mean good, right? We're talking about great. Like you have to be a citizen of that platform. You have to be a citizen of that channel. You have to be someone who's in on those jokes, in on the themes, in on the trends. That takes a lot of work and you better be like really into it, so.
2: Guys, this is an incredible uh, episode already um, Alan uh, I love the idea of of efficiency versus channel specific being specific to a certain channel because I think that 's one mistake people make second you just you just articulated the idea that you need to be a citizen uh, in a channel i 'm curious what your thought is as it relates to the new emerging channels and are we going to see social media marketers and communicators in general, making the same mistakes. Let's take TikTok for example, here is a platform that as of right now is only organic, although I think we can all agree that's probably going to change. um, And it's an entirely different type of content. Well. Line and Vine, yeah, maybe have, have done this before, but it is a unique product. Do you think we're going to see marketers and brands make the same mistakes? Or are they saying, okay, clean slate, we can kind of do some new things from this point forward?
0: I think we're seeing a mix, but we're already seeing brands are just sort of posting stuff on there. And then we're also seeing on the other side, we're seeing brands and some of these brands are ones that are so surprising. I actually, you know, you look at the Washington Post, they're doing all this stuff on TikTok. It's actually working really well for them. And they have this young young ish not young this young ish guy who's running it he spends a lot of time on tiktok he's sort of very aware of like what are the memes that are currently spreading on tiktok and so a lot of tiktok is that basically these like little memes emerge and some of them last a day or two right and people sort of recreate their own versions of it and their musical and all this stuff but like sometimes they literally last a day or two. So if you're a brand, if you're not a citizen of that platform, you're not catching that until maybe you do a weekly review and you determine your cost for the next week and already it's gone. So yeah, we're definitely going to see more and more brands that are going to keep piling into these emerging channels. And as that happens, there'll be more brands that do a bad job. Um, It's funny, I'm right now meeting a lot of these like um, Gen Z kids who are starting Gen Z focused agencies, like they're like 19, 20. And I think it's really smart because I think fundamentally, a lot of the people who grew up as professional social media people in the age of Twitter, or Facebook, don't get it. And they think they get it. Cause they're like, oh, it's like Instagram and stories, but it's different. And it's like, no, 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 that's not at all what it is. And so I think that's actually something that's really interesting and something to think about, which is like, there's some like really smart Gen Z kids who are like helping brands do this and like almost wonder is like the better way for you to launch your TikTok strategy to hire an 18 year old um, than to do it yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, two two points on that. One, something like TikTok, which which has such a quick turn to be relevant, seems like almost an impossibility for an agency to be involved, right? Because of the layers of approval, Uh, it almost has to be client direct. And I couldn't agree more with what you say, Ellen, about, uh, the the differences in those truly youth-focused platforms, even Instagram, at some level, uh, when you when you're starting to talk to sort of, you know, Gen Z version of Instagram, uh, which certainly isn't the whole platform now, but but a, a big part of it. I have two Gen Zs uh, of my own, uh, both away at college, and when I look at their Instagram posts, they they fortunately haven't blocked me. Uh, you know, when I see the comments from their friends. I don't know what any of those comments <laughs> like literally like. It, I don't know because none of none, none of them are actual words, right? Or or not words that I'm familiar with. And and so like you definitely need a glossary. And I am a I am a, I am a fairly uh, culturally relevant fifty uh, year old, but but it is it is a whole it is a whole different thing. And we do a lot of work at higher with higher ed uh, at convince and convert. And I have this conversation with higher ed clients all the time. I'm sure you do too, Adam, uh, on the Salesforce higher ed side. You know they're they're trying to use uh, Instagram in particular, and to some degree Snap, not so much TikTok yet. But these schools are trying to use these channels to to recruit high school students to matriculate at this university. And I'm like, okay, well, who's running? Who's running Instagram? Well, you know, Sheila, and like, well. What's Sheila's background? Well, she's been, you know, in admissions for 27 years. Sheila's uh, 49 years old. I'm like, that's no. that's going to be a problem. Sheila is not going to be able to uh, to to make that really part of the culture of that platform. Now, uh, we don't want to overplay this here, social pros listeners. We're not saying that that age is a uh, is is a, a a precondition of employment uh, one way or, or the other for anything. But uh, I think what you do need to pay attention to is that the social channels are becoming very self-referential uh, in a way that they weren't um, just a couple of years ago.
0: I mean, you look at um, Chipotle's strategy on Instagram now is to be ironic, like they're doing these things where they purposely are creating these really hideous graphics. Um, Cause this is sort of like a little micro trend that's going on right now. And they have these like Microsoft paint style, word art, clip art. And this is Chipotle, like it's a major, major company. And like, that's actually funny. But the fact that that's funny is like kind of like a hard point to get because it is a self-referential, ironic humor, right? Yeah, it stops the thumb, though. You're like, what is this horrible graphic? Oh, yeah. it's
1: Chipotle. It's- well, that's why way I feel about shoes, right? Like all the weird chunky dad shoes, whatever yes. they're called. You know, my son wears them all the time. He's a sneaker freak. And I'm like, those are the, the most <laughs> hideous sneakers I've ever seen. It's like it's like so the Pontiac Aztec rendered as a shoe is what it yes. looks like. And oh I'm like, God. how is that cool? I don't get it,
0: but, uh, but that's the thing. And that's, that's the hard part about like, I think any of these things is about irony. And I think part of the irony thing also comes down to, I think the last two or three years was really sort of the resurgence of like, we really want human um, sort of humanity in our social media. And so like people don't want super polished, super professional. They want something that's human. They want something that's real. They want something that's authentic. And some of the best ways to do that are to be people centric, to be, to have mistakes, to have rougher cuts, to have silly word art and make it clear it's a joke, like, that stuff is, I think, is having a real moment. And I think that all speaks to the sort of ability for some people to create good organic social if they can prove the uh, prove their authenticity.
2: Social media marketers resist the temptation to be the dad that dances at your teenager's party. Uh, hey man, that is, that's, that's <laughs> I the, resemble that remark. That's the, and you and me both, my, my friend. So I think that's, it's, it's interesting. I think you're exactly right. And that there is a difference in being cool uh, and trying to be cool and uh, and you need to channel your uh, your audience when doing so much of this, Alan. I think those are great, great thoughts. Probably a good segue too, to talk about something else I think that is really important and that is creativity. And in your book that came out last year, The Creative Curve, which is, as Jay said, an incredible book, I, I encourage anyone to, uh, to go to Amazon or your favorite bookseller and grab this. But I love, Alan, how you break the association between genius and creativity and that you say you know what you don't have to be genius to be powerful in a creative standpoint talk a little bit more about the creative curve and especially that that topic that really resonated with me because I am no genius
0: yeah so the book stemmed from a conversation I started having with marketers about five years ago where I would talk to marketers and I would hear things like oh I'm not that creative or I'm not that person And I started to get frustrated because I, well, I'm originally from New Jersey, so I get frustrated a lot, but I generally have this sort of sense of that creativity is a learnable skill. And I realized through a lot of the work I was doing that actually most people don't believe this. And so um, what happened was I gave a talk at a conference about some of the mythologies around creativity and some of the stories of creative genius we've told throughout time, like Mozart, Picasso, Steve Jobs and how really what we've been told is a sort of Hollywood marketing PR version of creativity. And we've internalized a lot of the stories from sort of a marketer's version of the creative process. And we've told ourselves things like, oh, like Mozart popped out of the womb playing the piano, which is comical, like he had a helicopter dad who hired for him the best music teacher in Europe and made him practice three hours a day, seven days a week, starting at the age of three like you too would become a half decent piano player. And so this idea of creativity has really gotten warped by sort of popular media. Um, and so the talks were sort of spiraled into a book and the book is split up into two halves. So the first half is sort of myth busting the notions around creativity. and the second half, I interviewed about 25 living creative greats so billionaires, Oscar winners, Tony Award winners, Mission Star Chefs about their creative process and how they learn to become more creative. And so to answer your question specifically, what I think is really fascinating is that um, this concept of genius? We typically tie it in with the idea of IQ. And when they do tests where they take the same group of people and they test both IQ and creative potential, what they find is that once you have an IQ of about 104, there's actually no correlation between IQ and creative potential. And the thing there is that an IQ of 104 is literally about average. So IQ is normalized in a bell curve with a hundred in the middle. So if you have an IQ of 104, like not half the world is smarter than you. So this is not, you know, a hundred thousand people. This is not hundred million people. this is only billions and billions of people with the same creative potential. But yet there's a big gap between the amount of creative potential there is and creative achievement. And so what the book ties into is that when you actually look at the science around this, when you actually talk to people, What you find is that a lot more of what changes people from having creative potential to having creative achievement is about the social system they exist in, how they interact with their people in their creative field, how they gather resources, how they gather skills, and how they execute on those things. And those are not things that are sort of naturally born or sort of divinely given to a certain few, but those are things that anyone can take advantage of if they know how to do it.
1: There you go, Social Pros listeners. It's all right there in front of you. You can teach yourself, you can learn to be creative.
0: It is not just nature, it is also nurture. Correct, Alan? Yeah. And there's there's when you talk about creativity, what I think is interesting is people sort of misunderstand even what that word means. So, like if I throw paint on a canvas, it's not creative, right? It's maybe productive, maybe, right? But when Jackson Pollock does, it's worth millions and millions of dollars. So what is creative is actually this really interesting question because what creative is is the ability to create things that people recognize as both new and valuable. It's not just about creating new things. great. Because you could create lots of new things that are terrible. We wouldn't say, oh, that person is creative. And so it's the ability to create things that are both new and valuable. And because of that second component, the value component, that's where a lot of the social dynamics come in. Because as a culture, when we decide things are valuable, that's actually not some objective standard that's a group of people saying, oh, this is neat. Oh, this is interesting. So that's why a lot of the academic research around creativity falls under sociology because you have to understand how do groups of people think and how do groups of people interact. And you see a lot of this on the internet with how trends emerge, right? Trends come into favor, then they come out of favor. And so you really actually have to understand timing. So when I talk about creativity, I talk about three things. I say that it's the combination of skill, which you can learn, it's a combination of timing, which you can learn, and it's marketing and distribution, which you can get good at. Really, when we talk about creativity, if you can do those three things, you can be creative.
2: So this, is, this is fascinating. So, Alan, um, I think when we think of creative professionals, I think when we think of a creative director at an agency or a, or a brand, we're thinking these people are right brain all the way but you're saying that creativity is both kind of left brain analytical as well as right brain and then to add upon that is this idea that creativity is uh is again something that you can you can learn am am i hearing this correct
0: yeah, so one of the things that I thought was interesting in the book, so for the research approach for the book, what I did is I interviewed all of the big academics in the field of talent development and creativity. So these are folks like Mihaly Mihai, Anders Ericsson, like some of these really big names in the field. I interviewed these folks ranging from David Rubenstein, the billionaire, to Pasek and Paul, the Grammy and Oscar and Tony Award winning song duo. Um, and then I also looked at the history of creativity and creative genius and creative thought. And What's really interesting is when you look at the research around talent development, what you find is a surprising consensus among academics that the idea of natural born talent is kind of silly. Usually what natural born talent is, is one of two things. One, it's usually a form of compounding advantage where you have an example like Mozart who started playing piano when he was three, right? So by the time he was 18, he'd been practicing for 15 years, right? Imagine that, that's like if you start practicing at 40, that's the equivalent of 55. And as an older people, like we have less time to practice these things. Um, so that's one thing As you see that. And you also see with misattribution. So the example that a lot of um, people who study talent development like to give is imagine you have a daughter and she goes and tries out for track the first time. She's never run track before, but she goes out It's middle school track and she runs and she is faster than anyone expected. And everyone's like, wow, she has natural born talent, forgetting that you and her actually loved playing softball in the backyard since she was five. And ever since she was five, she's been running in the backyard between the bases sprinting. And so from the age of five to 12 now, and she's trying out for track for seven years, she's been practicing her sprinting. And so often we tend to misattribute things to natural born talent. That are really just the result of the fact that as humans, we're very adaptable, including in our brain, there's this whole concept of neuroplasticity, we're very adaptable. And when we do things, we get better at it and we see structural changes in our body and in our brain to better allow us to do that. That's a very powerful force that is commonly misunderstood.
1: I think it works in social too, even on a per-platform basis, right? If you're not having the kind of success that you want to have on Facebook organic, for example, well, spend more time at it. Do 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 more of that. You're um, you're not going to get worse, uh, you know. If you if you if you do it more and you get worse at it, well, that's a bigger that's a bigger problem. Uh, but but you're probably not going to get worse.
0: One thing I want to add. Um, so in the book, I talk about these four things these creatives do to become good at what, at their craft. One of the things I was really surprised by, I think applies really well to social is we talk a lot about consumers and creatives being sort of opposites. Like consumers consume, they're very passive. Creatives do, they're very active. But actually the most successful creatives are also rabid consumers of their field. So like musicians will, for example, jazz musicians will listen to every jazz record possible. They've gone to lots and lots of shows because by learning what's out there, you can start to understand where is there opportunity for stuff that's new. Right? And so if you aren't a consumer, it's very hard to be creative. And so I think it's social, this is a great example where this is why we talk about those social citizens as being some of the best social media marketers because they actually get it, they're actually consuming, they're actually active on Twitter, and they're seeing the sort of trend lines of those memes and jokes and trends and jo- all these things. And that's why consumption is actually one of the most important parts of any creative field, but I think social is sort of a very obvious one, you know, to your point, and it's really, really important. But I know a lot of people who are like, ah, I do social for work, and you know, I'm not really on Twitter, I'm not really consuming, and I'm like, oh, I'm nervous. <laughs>
1: And that's why you need to listen to the Social Pros Podcast each and every week later. Exactly. You need to be consuming this information. It makes me a better social media marketer, Adam, as well. And thanks to all you guys for listening to the show. We appreciate it. It's been a great year, matter of fact. Alan, one of the things that you're particularly adept at and, and have been awarded and lauded as such is your use of LinkedIn video. You were one of the first LinkedIn video creators doing consistent, episodic content there. Tell us a little bit about what you've done there, how you decided to to use LinkedIn video in that kind of uh, binge-worthy, consistent uh, show format. And then I'll ask you some questions about best practices later.
0: Yeah, so um, so I've been doing LinkedIn video now for over two years, which is crazy. And my, my typical sort of video format is I do these videos that are sub one minute called Alan Asks. And basically I'm interviewing some thought leader or leader or CEO. And it's been everyone from you know, John Chambers, the CEO of Cisco, to Kobe Bryant. Uh, I interviewed a you know, uh, presidential candidate, Pete Buttigieg, like a pretty eclectic set of folks, but the most of it's like marketers and startup CEOs and stuff. And um, one question, one answer, and one minute, that's the whole thing. And it was funny cause the reason I started was actually because I had just um, finished the manuscript for this book. And a big part of the book is talking about how um, being early to trends is really important. And I saw that LinkedIn had launched LinkedIn video and it was in private beta. And I was like, well, clearly like that'll do great. I mean, Facebook video is sort of doing real well. LinkedIn had a big thing. I was like, I, you know, I want to be part of that early on. And this is a really silly story, Jay, but literally what happened was I was thinking about this a lot and trying to like network my way into it to the point where I literally had a dream one night. This is 100% true. I had a dream that I was on a hotel rooftop bar and Jeff Wiener, the CEO of LinkedIn was there and I like drunkenly asked him to like give me beta access to LinkedIn video. And he said, yes, you know, that's the end of the dream. And then the next morning I was like, I should post it on LinkedIn. Like, I feel like Jeff Weiner's the kind of guy who'd be amused by that. So I posted on LinkedIn, tag Jeff Weiner. Hour and a half later, he responds, you now have LinkedIn video access. Internet goes crazy. <laughs> like 2,000 people like that post, hundreds and hundreds of comments. It ended up getting like 1.1 million views that post. Amazing. And I got LinkedIn video access and started posting these videos. And two and a half years later, they've had over 5 million views. Um... And, you know, I get people all the time, you know, messaging me about it and saying that it's been impactful and it's been a super rewarding experience. And it all started with a very, very silly dream.
2: Look at that. Your dreams can come true (laughs) on LinkedIn. Yeah. You're a convert. (laughs) Alan, I think you've done some other really interesting things. And I think this kind of speaks to that art and science that we were talking about earlier. As it relates to your cadence calendar, on LinkedIn, and you have a very prescriptive calendar or cadence that you kind of keep to. Mondays are, are general content, Tuesdays are a video, Wednesdays an article, which seems a little bit more heavy and, and, and kind of thought leadership esque. Thursdays video, Friday general content. Talk a little bit about kind of why you created that. It may be just because of necessity and you know, needing to spread out the video yeah. content, but. I'm sure with your analytical mind, sir, that there has been a lot of science and measurement that has been put into this calendar. So one of the interesting
0: things about LinkedIn that's unique among the social platforms is that they have an engineering culture that's very much about learning and sharing. And so they have an engineering blog, which about every six months, there's usually at least one article about the LinkedIn feed algorithm, where they're actually describing how it works. And you can go and find all these, like there's, they're still up there. Um, and they're really fascinating because they're very, you know, sort of, Um, transparent about what are things that works. And so one of the things sort of early on that I read in one of these, you know, sort of technical blogs they put together was that variability of content is important. And so I started mixing up my content and doing different types. And I found um, that if I mix up my content, all of the content started to perform better. Um, And so I sort of iterated and I, and I found that, you know, for me, two videos a week was about the max. It seemed like my audience would get excited about once again, more than that, it felt a little repetitive. Um, and then the articles on Wednesday, again, like the article has a longer, um, tail. So doing one a week, it usually gets engagement for an entire week. So it's really good. And then Mondays and Fridays are a bit of a a grab bag. But recently what I've been doing for the last two months, which has been working well is Monday, I sort of try to ask my community a question. So I try and ask her a thought provoking question. Um, I think this week it was about, uh, you know, remote work and like, what would you want to work fully remotely, fully in an office or a mix? Um, and you know, that usually gets hundreds of comments, lots of engagement. You know, I think Monday got something like 55,000 impressions. Um, uh, and then Friday is usually sort of a random thing. I think today I didn't post good not have a good idea, um, and so what I found that's really interesting is that over time, though, these things sort of change and they morph and what works well and what doesn't work well, it's constantly changing because LinkedIn is like every other platform, you know, there's this sort of inner culture. And the thing which is funny is right now is I've always been a big advocate um, for doing content on LinkedIn that's more authentic, right? More human to human, more video, sort of lower fi. But recently I've been thinking that um, there's a lot of white space on LinkedIn for more Higher production show quality content. And so I'm playing around with a few ideas there where it's cooey create content that's three to five minutes long that has a better production value because there's a lot of people now doing interviews on LinkedIn and um, it's starting to become a lot more crowded. And I think even though I have sort of a loyal community and an audience there, I think it's time to maybe shake things up too. Um, and the data sort of supports that. Like my views per video are starting to go down. I don't think videos are getting worse. I just think it's becoming a much more competitive market for that type of content.
1: How important do you think
0: use of headlines and, and hashtags have been to your success? So LinkedIn is really interesting on um, two fronts. So one is that they um, have a content fold break after two lines and there's a continued reading. And so you have to have, in those first two lines, an engaging enough um, headline or sort of teaser to get people to either click read more or to watch the video or do whatever. So I've always prioritized that and made sure that it, it makes sense. It's clear. It's descriptive. I try not to do anything that's tricky. I, I don't like when people do sort of like, you know, clickbait type things. But I, I think there's a big gap between clickbait and a bad headline. There's a lot of stuff sort of in the middle. And then the other thing that's really interesting is about a year ago, LinkedIn announced this focus on hashtags, where they were going to start surfacing content to users based on their interests and the, the, and then also the hashtags on the content. And what's cool about LinkedIn is you actually go on the left of your main feed, there's actually a link to explore hashtags. And you can see all of the major hashtags on LinkedIn, and it actually shows you the count of how many people have followed each hashtag. So like, hello, like and this is like- go. Pretty straightforward. So you actually can go and see what are the most popular hashtags and create content that's tailored to that. Or when you have content related to that, be sure to use those specific hashtags. And LinkedIn has this new um, sort of content boost where if your content's doing well in a particular hashtag, it'll create a notification that says, you know, Jay Bear's um, video is trending in hashtag marketing. And anyone who follows hashtag marketing will get that notification. And so the hashtags not only have the benefit of making sure your content is shown to the right people, but there's this extra amplification effect of your content's good. And the best thing is LinkedIn literally tells you which hashtags to use. So it's not even like crazy rocket science.
1: No mystery. Gotta love that. I had a question for you about the interviews because they are one question, right? And it's, and it's just from your phone, uh, right. And, and, and super
0: quick. Do you know what the question is before you grab the person? Um, I usually ask the person. So I, I will usually, so how I like to do these things, I tell a person like, hey, you know, here's what works best. A really specific, um, actionable tip. So is there a specific tip you like to give people? And then sometimes people are like, oh yeah, I got it. And some people need some more prompting. And I usually tell them, you know, the best sort of categories for LinkedIn is marketing sales and HR. Like those are the three categories that do the best on LinkedIn, because if you think about the audiences of people who spend their time on LinkedIn, it's marketing sales and HR, right? And so I use that and usually that prompts people into getting to something. The other thing I find with interviewing people is a lot of it is about like comfort. And so I try and be like a very comforting interviewer. So telling people like, look, like we can redo it as many times as you want. Um, you know, look, you know, how do you think the lighting looks like asking people, making sure they're comfortable, because I think that has a really big impact on the videos coming off as friendly versus this person feels like they're like in a hostage video or something, you know? It's true. It's, it really makes a huge difference. You
1: can tell that they feel comfortable with you and comfortable in that situation. And also... It's, it's palpable, right? It's under a minute. And we've talked about this a lot on the show, Adam, this this idea that the unit of measure in, in social content, regardless of platform, right? Whether it's Instagram or certainly TikTok, obviously, uh, or Twitter or Facebook, and, and now LinkedIn, is getting shorter and and shorter and shorter. I mean,
2: um, More other than- content.
1: Yep. Yeah, man. I mean, other than podcasts like this one, uh, it's, and, and I guess, you know, some long form video, right? People watch- Twitch streams for 11 hours in, in a row, right? Um, so there are certainly circumstances where people will, will tune in for longer, but as a general rule, it would seem that the shorter form is uh, is better. I, I mean, I remember when I did, used to do my J Today videos, uh, which w- years ago, a daily video, uh, and those videos are between three and four minutes. And that was like super crazy short for back then, right? And now, yeah. you know, Alan's, Alan's been doing now, under I hear three seconds. minutes
0: and I'm like, oh my God, that's like a lot. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Who's got that kind of, who's got that yeah, kind exactly. of time? This is wild. I got a life to lead. I can't watch <laughs> it. Through. I could consume three Allen videos and the length of <laughs>
2: one J video. What are you talking about? That's crazy. Go ahead, Adam last last kind of question in terms of 2020 um alan you you are you have your finger on the zeitgeist of of all of this you're obviously going to be spending more time on linkedin um and uh, and with the longer form content but not that much longer as you uh as you articulated where else uh if you were a social pro would you put putting your uh, your chips uh, in the roulette wheel of, of social media
0: great question i think that um the, the few things I would think about is that I'm not hundred percent convinced will work, but I think I have a good chance to work. I think LinkedIn is generally a big opportunity for anyone who touches B2B. I still think, I think it's getting more crowded, but I still think there's an incredible amount of running room. I'm sort of like fascinated slash curious slash haven't yet figured out, um, all these new texting services that are coming. Cause I think that there's something about like a human relationship. Like I, probably receive on LinkedIn 10 to 20 DMS a day plus DMS and other things. I try and like give thoughtful responses. And I think of that as social, right? Like that to me is also an extension of social media. And I think that in many ways is more important than some of the more public content, um, in terms of building a relationship with your audience. And so I think that anything that brings an audience closer to a creator or brand is really interesting and what that looks like, I still think is sort of morphing. Um, I'm sort of interested in email newsletters generally, although I think that it's starting to get a little bit crowded. Um, But I think for social media marketers, there's something interesting there because a lot of these, um, you you think about the concept of an engagement pod, right? Which sometimes get a pretty bad rap, but I think about like intentional engagement pods. So like if I'm a brand, for example, Um, you know, if I have some top fans, can I send them out in an email newsletter? Hey, we posted this new piece of content to support us. Could you go and like it? Right. And I think about email newsletters as a way to potentially extend social, um, and maybe even create that own sort of intentional engagement pod or other things like that. So those are the things that I'm sort of interested in. Um, I generally think that in sort of influencer marketing, which I think is extension of social, I think B2C is sort of overextended. But I think B two B influencer marketing is like going to go wild. Um, you know, I've I've seen a couple campaigns. I've done a couple campaigns, and I just think like the amount of money that B two B brands spend on you know demand generation and paid advertising. I think there. I mean, three years from now, we're going to be talking about all these big companies with multi million dollar B two B influencer marketing budgets, and that's barely barely even started.
1: Couldn't agree more. That's certainly a direction that we're spending a lot of time on, converting, convert both on the consulting side and the influencer work that uh, that I do and our partnership with Salesforce, among others. And uh, yeah, I think I think you're spot on. It's going to be a very interesting uh, next couple of years. Alan, we're going to ask you the two questions we ask everybody here on the Big Social Pros podcast. Gosh, I feel like I had to ask, ask this question in less than fifty nine seconds. <laughs> um, if uh, if you could give somebody
0: one tip, somebody who's looking to become a social pro, what would you what would you tell them? I'd say build up your personal um, social media first and get really good at it in practice because it also acts as an inherent resume. Like if you're hiring an Instagram creator um, or an Instagram manager for your brand, if someone's great at Instagram, they instantly go to the top.
1: Yep, uh, that is for sure. They're definitely going to look, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're going to look definitely, so well definitely going to pay it. attention. Yep, sure. no question. <laughs> Last question uh, for Alan.
0: If you could do a video call, with any living person, who would it be? Oh, well, I will say, I can ask as if I was to do also a video interview with any living person for- Sure, sure, of course. (laughs) um, I think that I'm really fascinated by um, some of these folks who've sort of jumped between industries and are like, I'm gonna give you one that's gonna seem a little ridiculous maybe. Um, but I think probably at least one of the sort of Kylie Jenner, Kim Kardashian folks who they are completely misunderstood. They are incredibly savvy at social media. They're incredibly savvy at business. They're comparatively savvy at entertainment. There's a reason why they're all becoming self made billionaires. Um, and I think that ability to understand the zeitgeist so well and to monetize it is fascinating, especially with the amount of negative criticism they get. And so I'm curious about them from a business perspective. Um I would love to ask some questions about that.
1: There you go Kylie Jenner uh, that's your answer this week on Social Pros. Yeah I think you, I would I would love to see you uh, ask uh, ask one question. What would be your question? Oh
0: my god. Um what do you think about TikTok? I don't know. I have have... <laughs> Probably going to buy TikTok. Yeah exactly. Yeah,
1: should probably buy TikTok. Yeah, I own it. Yeah, it's all good. I bought it from China. It's fantastic. <laughs> Alan, thank you so much. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Congratulations on all the success, obviously on LinkedIn, but of course with TrackMaven uh, and the book called The Creative Curve, Social Press Listeners. Make sure you grab a copy of it. It is terrific. It will make you a better social media marketer. I can guarantee you that. Thanks again for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. See you later. You bet. On behalf of Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud, I am Jay Bear from Convince to Convert. This has been hopefully your favorite podcast in the whole wide world. If you've been listening for a while, tell your friends. That'd be fun. Word of mouth. Super powerful out there. You know how that works. You can find every single episode dating back to January of 2012. You want to hear uh, episodes that don't mention any of the things we talked about today. The the 2012 (laughs) episodes, do not mention LinkedIn video or Snapchat or TikTok or Instagram. No TikTok there. Uh, No TikTok in the January 2012 episodes. Uh, So that's eight years ago uh, is when this show started. It's kind of fun to tiptoe through the archives. But yeah, every single show, transcripts, links, all of it is available at socialpros.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much.